What do you know about that, man? <laughs> That was pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> the only time I like to fish is when it's raining. Let's get the podcast started. I don't want to talk about all this stuff. But there are a few things I want to talk about right off the bat. So, first of all, I'm Chase Winninger, host of the podcast, and now with Lee McClellan, co-host. Hope everybody is doing well. Yeah, with this weather, it's hard not to. It's finally No doubt. Raining. Finally, the monsoons have stopped. It's wonderful. And then today's guest, David Baker. How are y'all doing today? David, what is your title? Do you know your title? Say, I'm a fisheries biologist. Okay. And I actually work in the district, uh, one of the districts in the central fisheries district. Okay. Um, we do 26 counties in kind of north central. We've got um, Lexington over to Louisville up to northern Kentucky. It's okay. kind of the area that, that so I cover. So where we're at right now here in Frankfort is your area? Absolutely. All right. So there's some things I want to talk about as far as that goes, but there are a few things right off the bat. One thing, last time we did a podcast, I took Instagram questions and I missed one. Mm -hmm. And uh, this guy, Ryan Pike is his name. I was out shooting basketball at St. Martha's School in Louisville. And he just happened to walk up and he's like, hey, man, what about my question? <laughs> so, so I'm like, all right, I'm going <laughs> to knock this one out right away. Um, he was asking about uh, bow fishing. Do you, um, are you up to date on some bow fishing stuff, some opportunity? Yeah, I'm going to pull his question up right now. Okay. Yeah, what's the question specifically? All right, exactly what he said is, um, not sure how to read. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, can you cover bow fishing on one of your upcoming podcasts? The regulations are very vague on what kinds of fish you can shoot and where. For example, no shooting common carp in lakes managed by Fish and Wildlife, but rivers and streams have no regulations. Um, and if so, where is the line where the lake becomes the river, the tailwater, et cetera? Okay, so... Kind of how it works as far as what you can shoot is uh, you can't shoot any sport fish. Which is something that has a... Which is like, which typically has a, has a size limit on it. So, okay. like, you know, bass crappie, uh, you know, you can't shoot walleye, sawgrass, okay. stripers, muskie, things like that. Uh, what you can do is you can shoot catfish. Uh, there is a uh, There is a limit on how many catfish you can shoot. Okay. Does that uh, fall under fishing rigs? Yes, it'll, it's it's under our special fishing rig section where it talks about bullfrogs and turtles and okay. mm -hmm. non-traditional spear fishing things like that. Okay. It's under that non-traditional. Um, but as far as rough fish go, like on the rivers, creeks, carp, buffalo, suckers, there is there is no limit. It's unlimited harvest on those. So basically, if you look at the fishing rigs, you won't see a minimum size limit or a daily limit on gar or carp. No, absolutely or, not. But the only one that you're saying that you might... It's, cat, it's catfish. Yeah, there is, a, there is a daily limit on catfish. So basically, you can bow fish for rough fish, which would be pretty much anything that you don't see size limits and things like that on plus right. catfish yes and when you're bow fishing for catfish you got to follow those daily limits correct that is correct and size limits uh there's no size limits on well it's some like fins lakes there's some size limits on catfish. but i guess yeah. you don't bow fish fins lakes yeah so yeah. like typically all the all the fins lakes are in cities and mm -hmm. the city have ordinances against fire using firearms okay and bows hmm. are considered firearms um some of our state-owned lakes um you know you could target channel catfish there yeah um, you but know, they have a limit on if you're in a state on limit. And again, right? they still they still have they they fall under the daily krill limit. The uh, so what, being it's a non-traditional method, they don't have to do the 12 inch size limit. Side question: He asked about common carp in lakes managed by Fish and Wildlife. I never have heard of that. Uh, one thing that's come up is is grass carp. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, common carp he can shoot in our state on lakes. Okay, um, that is legal. Uh, grass carp, uh, we ask that you leave them alone. We spend a lot of money to put them out there to control vegetation. Mm -hmm. 
So we ask people if you're out there and, and you know it's a grass carp, you know, please don't shoot it. Um, it's out there for a purpose, but yeah, Carmen carp would be fair game. And there's, I mean, you can get on the department's website and there's fish ID. Correct. So you yes. can see the difference in a common carp and a grass carp mm-hmm. and, and all those species. But so as far as where the tailwater starts, where the lake begins, I mean, is there a standard? Yeah. If you go, if you look in the fishing and boating, um, that guide, changed recently, didn't it? Yeah, we, they, they come out and they we're trying to use like landmarks, bridge crossings, you know, hard structures. That way it's very yeah. easy to find one for our law enforcement, two for our anglers. So yeah. they can do the right thing. We don't put them. Uh, if you look in our fishing and boating guide, it actually defines like Taylorsville Lake. Yeah. It's, up to, it's up to dry dock road yeah. crossing. See, that's one on you because of the crappie rigs. Correct. Because you can catch, you can keep a nine inch crappie above dry dock road and exactly. below it has to be 10. So I, I kept that one in mind. Previously, it was the first ripple upstream of the main lake. So the first. But, but yeah. if you have high water, uh, summer pool, winter pool, so that riffle would change. Would change. So, and it was confusing people's like, you know, if it's the first riffle, but in summer, that's 10 feet deep and the first riffle's another mile and a half upstream. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it got, so there, we're, we're, we're moving to define it by static objects yeah and see we had to do the same thing with uh, elkhorn creek and the kentucky yep. river complex we actually had to go out and put out put up physical uh huh. sign, signage and a hmm. marker because depending on the elevation of the kentucky river the first riffle could be miles upstream yeah, i was gonna say that i mean is it so where is the marker now because the first riffle that i remember was actually going around the bend north of stillwater that's it so wait, that, wait, that wait, is if where you put it is. in it if you put in at the stillwater ramp there and the river's just to the left Go right, and once that pool ends and you're yeah. in that riffle, that's it. Okay, because that's I have, considered Kentucky River up to that riffle, mm-hmm. and then it's Elkhorn. I would limbline that area, and I'd put in at that boat ramp you're talking about, and I'd go upstream to the first riffle. Right. And I'd start putting my limblines out there, so I was actually in the Kentucky the, River. Oh, for regulation purposes, yeah, okay. you were Kentucky well, that's, River. That's good to know. So people can look all this up online, one way or the other. Correct. Yes, yes it, it is. It is defined in our boating guide. Yeah. So okay, and I think that so the boating guide would be the place to go, but they could probably even use the search box top right hand corner mm-hmm. type in the waterway maybe type in taylorsville lake or mm-hmm. taylorsville lake boundary or, yeah. or where to fish is a good link it gets yeah. you a list of all of our lakes um and then if still if you have questions beyond that contact your local yeah. district biologist uh, they can they can help you find that information if you're having problems hmm. that's good to know now i'm gonna maybe check that out myself because i mean bow fishing is something that i enjoy doing and mm-hmm. knowing the regs i mean i always feel pretty confident as far as sport fish and rough fish and things like that but looking up those boundary waters could be interesting because i never even knew about the elkhorn one you mm-hmm. guys just told me about Th- that's been changing in the last 10 years i mean uh yeah i've been doing the fishing guide now for 19 years yeah that, i mean that's uh, happened that's happened in my career here so and then we've yeah. been adding them sequentially the first one i remember is dry dock road because mm-hmm. You know, Taylorsville does fluctuate madly, and there'd be people fishing above that and mine the lake, and it, you yeah. know, that way you can just strictly define it. That way, like you said, pool it's, level doesn't it's, matter. It's easy for law enforcement, and the main the other main thing is is easy for we, anglers. Yeah. We don't want to put our anglers in a bad situation. Mm-hmm. We want to go out there, have fun, catch the fish, harvest fish if they want to in in the in a legal way, mm-hmm. and take them home and have a good meal. Yeah. So yeah, it's 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 for everybody. So I need to go out and catch a good meal. I caught one last night, but oh my gosh, my phone. Let's see, breaking news. Well, I'm just gonna turn that off. <laughs> a little NBA free agency news. <laughs> but um, let's see, a couple other things that I just wanted to hit off the bat. Talking about bow fishing, I went to the Falls of the Ohio a couple days ago and the Asian carp 
were going as nuts as I've ever seen them right there against mm -hmm. the dam. Really? The water was high, and we didn't have any log catching hybrids or anything like that, but I have never seen Asian carp jumping like they were that day. I mean, just jumping face first into the dam, jumping up on the rocks, flopping around. I mean, they were just everywhere. Mm -hmm. Does that have something to do with their spawning run? They, they just like to always say go with the flow. When the so, flow gets so, up, they're, they're so they when the flow down. gets up, it, it gives them the ability to migrate up and yeah. find new areas okay. to colonize, basically. Yeah. Uh, so basically, they're just they're just moving, looking for new waters yeah. to inhabit. Okay. So somebody online said something about the spawning run, but I wasn't sure. I mean, I, I yeah, don't know I mean, that I don't know much about Asian carp as far as spawning goes. Yeah, I mean, Asian carp definitely not my specialty. Yeah. By no stretch of the imagination. But, it, but it's kind of in their instinct. But, when water, when there's yeah. flow in the water, they're going to migrate upstream. Correct? Right. And then part of they're spawning is, is they have to have they have to have a certain amount of flow because the eggs have to be able to drift through yeah. the water column a okay. certain certain amount of time without settling out so oh, you that, know high water do, it is a tr trigger mechanism for spawning being that that's what they were doing i don't know yeah it's hard to tell i mean they were just it looked like they were trying to beach themselves and then as soon as they mm -hmm. beach themselves they decide this is a bad idea we actually <laughs> see them do that we <laughs> actually do thousands would have beached themselves and not gotten off the beach we see them do this both taylorsville lake yeah. When the core opens up and starts spilling hard, mm -hmm. they said they'll sit there in the basin below Taylorsville and do the same thing. They said yeah. it like, they said it almost look like trout or salmon trying to jump up a waterfall. Oh, it's wild. You know, over there, if you're, so you know where the constant water flows through the falls on the far left side mm -hmm. on the Indiana bank? That's where we were. Mm -hmm. And you know, if you look straight down the railroad bridge, all the water's pushing through over there at the gauge, right? And I'm talking the other day, there was 30 foot pluffs of water shooting up the bridge bridge. Wow. You know what I mean? I mean, I've, they were they were running 80 feet that day, and um, but you could look if you looked over there that big pluff of water, you could see the Asian carp jumping over there. Right, yeah. it's crazy. A lot of people don't realize you can go over there near the uh, interpretive center on the Indiana side, and you can fish that bank with a Kentucky license. That's what I, that's what we right. do. Yeah. I don't have an when Indiana it's low and clear, license. That's a great sauger spot when it's mm -hmm. low in the fall. I can't wait for it to get low. <laughs> Eventually, I mean, I've waited. Eventually. I mean, it gets like a little braided creek down there. Yeah. Jim Axe and I, he caught a seventeen-inch sauger down there one day. Yeah, we, yeah. We Unfortunately, we've waiting for two years for the water to go yeah. down. Yeah. There. I mean, it's a it's a it's a cool place. Yeah, the absolutely. other day, me and Kristen went down, and we were the only people there. And all these geese were up there on that sandbar on the Indiana side. And all of a sudden, I started looking. All the geese were running to the river. And I, I told Chris, I said, I wonder what those geese are doing. And all of a sudden, here comes the mangiest looking coyote you've ever seen. <laughs> running. Oh, yeah, snack. He was running down there. And I mean, he sat there 50 yards from us just looking at me. And I was thinking, well, if this was somewhere else, you'd be in serious trouble right now. <laughs> but he, uh, he literally went up and he hid behind one of those little trees that grows out of that sandbar and just sat there and watched us through the tree branches and waiting for those geese to come back. But it's a pretty wild place. On the same note, I know a boat went over the falls last night. Did you see that? No. Yeah. That's, that's not good. That is not good. One, I, I don't know exactly how it happened, where it happened. I just kind of saw it on the news. And a, uh, a boat went over with two people. One person was found. The other person they're still searching for. They did both have their life jackets on, but the search crews found a life jacket with nobody. So, who knows, I'm sure at some point today something will, I mean, hopefully the guy's safe wherever he is, but, you know, that's a dangerous area. It's very dangerous area. I've, I've worked there and boat. you got to be very respectful of that much moving water. Oh, I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's so strong that, I mean, obviously, yeah, you always want to have your life jacket on anytime you're in a boat or on the water in those tailwaters, but 
it's it's so strong that you know it, it can still just rip your life jacket off of you oh i mean it's, i know i personally know people who have sunk 21 foot boats there just because they got them turned wrong way in the mm -hmm, current mm -hmm. so i mean yeah there's some water life jacket's always a good idea it's always going to help always. and i'd say that the reason the one person was found already was because he had a life jacket absolutely on. but some water is just so powerful that yeah you know, it's, I mean, that's... You have a lot of respect on any of those That has been sinking areas. boats since the era of uh, any kind of navigation on the river. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. Granddaddy knew what it looked like. He used to take me down there all the time, and he knew what it looked like before McAlpin Lock and Dam or any of it when it was in its natural state, and he called it Big Eddie and Little Eddie. And boats would go through there, and it's, you know, it's basically the edge of the, what we call the Lexington Dome, falls off right there. And that was a big, giant rapid. And steamrollers would get through there and bust their damn wooden paddle wheels and get disabled. And he said they'd hit Big Eddie or Little Eddie and just start spinning and flip upside down. He said there's yeah. tons of boat wrecks at the bottom of the Falls of the Ohio. Well, I see uh, people with their down scan have pictures of boats all, all over the place. Yeah. But what I was wanting to get at there is um, it's a cool place. Fourth of July weekend's coming up. So obviously, like, I mean, things happen all yes. the time. So Fourth of July weekend, this weekend, I hope everybody who goes out does it safely. And Operation Drywater is going on from our law enforcement agency. So that means that's like zero tolerance. Zero tolerance. There's going to be a lot of, uh, probably not the best weekend to, to, to uh, uh, drink and boat. Um, they're going to be um, increased enforcement and they're going to be a lot of checks to make sure you have all this required safety equipment and you're using yeah. it in the proper manner. So this is the best weekend to cross your eyes and, uh, or dot your eyes and cross your T's if you're out on the water. And part of the reason, um, board is because earlier this year, like, okay, so this is 4th of July weekend. This is probably the second big weekend for boating in the state of Kentucky, right? Mm -hmm. First one's Memorial Day. Mm -hmm. And I know over that stretch of Memorial Day weekend and a few days on either side, there were like 11 drowning deaths in 10 days. And I think our annual average for Kentucky is 43. Mm -hmm. So I think because we had a big spike, we, I think that the people, law enforcement, our department kind of said, all right, we need to you know, take a little more initiative here. Not more initiative, but we just need to kind of hammer home this point. Wear your life jackets and, you know, safe boating. And that goes for kayakers. We've had a big spike in people drowning while kayaking. You've hey. got to wear your PFD. I mean, it doesn't seem like you have to um, when you're on a kayak. But it's, uh, I mean, and it's hot. I'm not well, going to lie. I was out yesterday. It was hot. Part of that is, PFD on. part of that's a spike in kayaking. Too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, as more people do it, you're going to have more things. I got checked for the very first time ever this year on my kayak. Did I tell you that? Where? Uh, Elkhorn. Uh, one of our officers, what's his name? It starts with an R. Who's our, who's our Franklin County guy? Is it? Josh, uh, isn't it? Robinson, maybe? Yeah, it's Robinson. Robinson. Josh Robinson. And he came down there and he checked me and my girlfriend. And I was out with my buddy Bobby and his girlfriend. And we were, Bobby and his girlfriend were canoeing me and uh, Kristen were kayaking. And he came down there and checked us for PFDs and fishing license and all that good stuff. So I, I like seeing it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I like seeing I think them. most of our anglers like seeing them on our water. Oh, yeah. Well, if you, the only reason you wouldn't like seeing them, seeing them is if you have a reason not if, to want to see them. If you're doing something, you're not supposed yeah. to be doing anyway. But, yeah. I mean, these guys, these, I mean, our law enforcement guys, are, they're good guys. Yeah. They're out there for the right reasons. They want you to be safe. Mm -hmm. Just do the right thing and have fun and yeah. everything's You have good. nothing to worry about if you have no. your fishing license and you keep the proper limits and, you know, you have your... PFD where you're supposed to, you have nothing to worry about. Well, not just that, but it's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, me and you talked about it with Chad Harp, that public fishing spot closing, right? Mm -hmm. yes. And so, I mean, the officers out there doing their jobs and making sure people are being safe and, and being courteous is part of what keeps public fishing opportunities like that available. And, and that spot was uh, at Peaks Mill Bridge. It's a very popular takeout and put-in spot that was one of our VPA areas, and the landowner was kind enough to extend it after... 
it got sequestered by the federal government and we lost funding. He just liked having a law enforcement presence, but people trashed it and he got tired of all the trash and and it was crowded. I've been down there where it was really crowded, but yeah. people treated his land disrespectfully and he got fed up. They, I mean, so now it shut off. That's always kind of, I mean. So respect, you know, it's not that hard. If it's just treat it like it was your property. Do you like people leaving trash everywhere and burning fires and shooting guns? Uh, no. I've said it a hundred times. I would have closed it down long before he did. Yeah. Because oh, he, I, was very, he was, he was very generous. Yeah. So, I mean, I hate to see it go away. I mean, yeah. the thing to note about Elkhorn is a lot of our put-in sites are still privately owned. Mm -hmm. So we've got a lot of people that still allow access to the creek but it, it can go away really fast. Yeah, and, Honestly, and, and, and I have more patience than me. I'm yeah, and I talked to this gentleman when he when he and he, he said he felt bad about closing <clears> it because he said there there's a lot of people that are doing the right thing, but at the point you're destroying his property, he couldn't he couldn't yeah. continue. And, and I, I can't it. fault him. I, I can't fished fault the him creek a lot and I watched it. I yeah. saw the people down there and the, you know. Oh, yeah, I used to call it kind of like the redneck swimming hole when mm -hmm. I would come through mm -hmm. on my kayak. I'd you know put in wherever I put in. Maybe I take out at one twenty seven, but. I mean, swimming there was fine. Doing whatever you're gonna do was fine, but it was all the trash people were leaving. I know. It was and I mean, incredible. there were like campfires down there. Yep. Yes, people were camping there, and 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 there was you know, partying a little bit and rutting out his place, and you know. That just ticks me off. Like even like the one. So the public spots, because a minute ago you said something about mm -hmm. most of them are private. The only ones I can think of that are public would be Sullivan, mm -hmm. which isn't even open all the time. That's our our. That's uh, a, it's a walk-in for uh, us. So, it's off our management area. Yeah, but that oh, that, so that one is always open. I was I meant to say the hatchery, Pfeiffer. Yeah, yeah, and that it's, one's it's, always it's, open. It's it's open to drive down to the creek if you come during their normal business yeah. hours. Seven a.m. to seven three p.m. Three, mm -hmm. uh, Monday through Friday. Friday you can't yeah. do it on the weekends. If you come after hours or you want to use it on the weekends, you can park Swap out the through. front gate and you're allowed to walk yeah. walk back in there. It's a it's a hall for a kayak. But yeah, you if can. you're walking in, yeah, if you're going to walk in and wait fish that area, yeah, it'd be perfect for that. It'd be a long way to carry a kayak. I've the American that. Whitewater there at Knights Bridge is still open to the public. Well, that, is that one a co-op? I think that one's American Whitewater in Canoe, Kentucky co-op, right? Well, there's two different sites there. Well, he's talking about the one at Knights Bridge on the left. Yeah, that you go down, there's a changing area and you can carry in. Mm -hmm. So American Whitewater um, owns that property mm -hmm. and it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a private association of members. But it allows but, public but, use. But what they do is they're generous enough that they leave it open for the public to use as a launch site. They, they ask the people don't wade fish there, bank fish there, but put a, put your canoe kayak in to start your float trip. Or yeah. take it out. Or take it out there. Yeah. They, they they're, they're definitely leave it open and welcome the public to use it. And then is 127 a, a county owned? Yes. It's a county right away for the bridge. Okay. Yeah, and it's, and it's it's owned by the county now, but they lock it uh, April to October yeah. and you can't even drive back there. That's the thing. Is well, I mean, October to April. Right? I was going to say that's yeah, complete that, opposite. Yeah. <laughs> even though it's on that county right away, the county still can close that site down. Yeah. If it's being tra trash and that's another issues. one that I see a lot of the same issues going on that I saw at the place that got shut down. I yeah. mean, if you go in there on a weekend, like this weekend, it'll be a zoo down there. Yeah, yeah. we still have a few VPA, old VPA sites. That uh, are all, almost all the other ones are bank or walk-in waiting no, access only. only. No carrying with your boats, yeah. but they do provide bank fishing and waiting access. So we still uh, softly bottoms the same way. Mm -hmm. That's a private owned one, of course. Yeah, but, but it's it's it's, v but it's an old VPA that's open. The public can park there. It's limited parking, so I mean and you can you, launch there. Yeah, if you or take if out. you show up and, it, and the parking lot's full, you know, don't park in people's yards. Move on, find a new spot. I mean, that's the biggest complaint we get from them is we're trying to give you an area to use. Don't block the gates down there. Don't block the gates. Don't park in our yard. 
because that's when the landowners are like, hey, now you're kind of trying to take advantage of an opportunity we're trying to provide yeah. for you. Oh, yeah. I don't want to get on the these specific points too much because mm -hmm. not everybody might know. But yeah. if somebody is interested in public access on Elkhorn, they can get on the website, Blue Water Trails, look mm -hmm. up Elkhorn Creek. The Stream right. Fisheries page has, has pictures and everything. And There's a lot of information out there. Bottom line is just be respectful. Yes. And when I see people leaving trash behind, I just don't, I mean, I, me I literally up. don't understand it because how hard is it just to carry it with you? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like the other day I was driving through Louisville and this guy was walking down the sidewalk and he uh, he had a pack of cigarettes and he got the last cigarette out and just threw it on the ground right in front of everybody, threw the whole pack of cigarettes. I was like, I wanted to get out and just punch that guy. <laughs> you know what I mean, like, I just don't understand how people do it. It's kind of lazy and disrespectful, but it being, is. Yeah. Anyway, kind of got off on a tangent there. Well, that's it's a good tangent because Elkhorn is very popular, and there's going to be, especially this coming weekend, there's going to be a lot of people that may be used to that old access, hasn't been out there this year because the water's been really high most of the spring. Mm -hmm. We're finally getting into seasonable flows, and yeah. they may need to know that. If they're planning to take out there, they're going to be in for a rude awakening. And I will say this, regardless of what water body you're going to go to, check our website. We Our districts do a very good job of when things get closed down or new opportunities arise, we update our website. Mm -hmm. So go go to the where you fish, click the water body you're interested in, and that information is very up to date. You know, as soon as we have an issue or gain a new site, immediately we get it we get it taken care of so people are aware of it. So always check that anytime you're going to a new place or if you're going to a place you're familiar with, just make sure nothing changed. Yeah. yeah. That's true. And yeah, that, I was surprised when I went to Elkhorn and that public access was closed. I yeah. mean, I went down there. It was like the Friday of Memorial Day weekend, or it might have been Saturday. They they closed, they closed it that Friday morning. <laughs> yeah, so there were round bells up, but I was I mean I was surprised. So checking the website, it probably isn't a bad idea. And I, we update the Blue Water Trails maps and uh, the verbiage and the in the article that I write. Anytime I hear anything, anytime we have to update them, I, I do my best to keep those updated. So. I don't want yeah. people to drive two hours to go somewhere and find out that a map that was produced seven or eight years ago is way out of date. Not, yeah. uh, we just updated the Cumberland River tailwater map. So whenever I see anything, uh, Gary Sprandle and uh, his crew are really good about fixing those maps quickly. Uh, yeah, while we were talking about Elkhorn, here in a second, I, I got things for you. I want to hear more about like what you do, where you do it, and okay. what it means. But while we're talking about Elkhorn, I know Lee went fishing yesterday. Yesterday on North Elkhorn. North Elkhorn. And the goal here, I think this is a funny story. <laughs> Lee called me like uh, a month ago, wanted to know if I'd ever cooked rock bass. Just a random question. And I, I said, no, not really. Why? And he, he said, you know, so Rick Hill does all the cover art for the magazine, right? Mm -hmm. And the cover art always coincides with the main story in the magazine. And I guess Rick decided he wanted to paint a rock bass. He did. It, it looks great. He did a great job. It's fantastic. But that means Lee has to write about rock bass. <laughs> hey, rock bass are an awesome fish. No, no, I, see, that's, kind of what, what I, that's what I'm learning. That's, that's one, one of my, my favorite sources. fish to catch. Yeah. To catch? See, yes. I, was, I was smallmouth fishing, and I'd catch rock bass. and be like, oh, dang it. But now that I'm hearing more about how good they are to eat, I'm kind of thinking. Yeah, excellent table fare. Yeah, I might actually be going out and targeting rock bass now. So uh, I thought it was funny, but Lee was out there fishing. He <laughs> so was, I've caught so many rock bass, but I didn't want to catch them. I was like, please get off my lure. I want a smallmouth. And yesterday, I tried to target rock bass and caught large bass and smallmouths, but not a rock bass. I never, <laughs> that was the funniest thing. It's like, you, you oh, they're, they're, I don't know. They're, they're my cursed little fish, I've but got, I love them. I've but, got a spot in a creek where I can catch nothing but rock bass. Yeah. 
and that's in Shelby County, so it's probably in your area. Yep. Over there in... Uh, we caught some, though, however. It's Brashears. Brashears Creek. Yeah. yeah. There's a hole there below a dam. As I say, all of our smaller creeks and rivers yeah. have a good have population. Most of them have a very good population. For one, the one time, they were grumpy and didn't want to bite. So what, you, other what have you learned about rock bass? Tell me Well, um, one thing I've always learned is black is my favorite color for rock bass. If I'm throwing something small and black, like a curly tail grub or a boot tail grub, four inches or less, then you'll catch rock bass. Yeah. I have caught them when I've been throwing four inch Cinco's and trying to throw like bigger lures, hoping to entice a, maybe a bigger smallmouth. I cannot believe the size of rock bass that have hit lures almost as long as them. I you think know? they're some of the most accurate fish. Yeah. I they're, mean, they, they're very aggressive. Yes. They've got big mouths for their yeah. size. And yeah, they, they can get a four inch Cinco in their mouth. No and problem. they're not scared. No. Huh. I, I mean, I, I mean, if you have four pound line on an ultralight, they're a ball. You know. I would like to go out and try to catch a good mess of them, cook them and eat them, see what I think. But, so well, I mean, aside from that, like, what have you learned about cooking rock bass? Or I know you've had to have done some research. Oh, I've done, did a ton. And, and I mean, I've caught hundreds, yeah. you know, uh, most of the time unintentionally. Um, but one thing David told me and Chase Wallen, who's another uh, source, is uh, the, the back strap above the rib cage is where the majority of the meat is. They're, 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 they, they fillet like a bluegill or a crappie, but they're not shaped the same. They're more tubular, they're more rounded, and the rib cage is broader. So your biggest chunk of meat is toward the top and behind the rib cage. Absolutely, absolutely. Do you like to cook them up just like a bluegill or a crappie? Just yeah, I say, we cook them a lot of different ways. I mean, we just, you know, batter them in whatever your favorite, batters, yeah. cornmeal, whatever, and deep fry them. I, we, we actually, Use shrimp scampi recipe yeah. and cook them like that. Hmm. Uh, we we bake them olive oil. Like poor man shrimp? Or? Yeah, uh, we've done them and uh, just bake them with you know garlic and basil and some olive oil. I mean, I like to eat yeah. fish. So I don't think there's no wrong what, way to do it. What are the regs on rock bass? So they are spore fish. Fifteen. They are spore fish. You keep fifteen. There's no size limit. Okay. So I'm thinking as a small as a guy who likes creek smallies, right? Mm -hmm. I don't. I don't keep creek smallies. I don't think there's something wrong with it, but I personally don't. They're chewy. I'm sorry. Oh, I've what? had them a few times because well, so, they're so muscular. They're chewy. I'm thinking I go out and I'm creek smallmouth fishing, right? And all of a sudden I catch a rock bass. <laughs> maybe he goes on the stringer. Mm -hmm. And then you know if I catch a couple more, maybe I, as I'm fishing for creek smallmouth, I can just get some incidental dinner. Yep. No doubt. That's a good because I don't think that you know there are bass snobs out there like large mouth snobs and small mouth snobs and stuff like that. I might be a little bit of one, but I don't think I've ever met a rock bass snob. <laughs> you know? no. I was uh, on South Elkhorn, this was several years ago, waiting a private access. Um, and here, th this barge comes down South Elkhorn and it was a platform. It looked like a pontoon boat that had all the superstructure on top taken off. Hmm. And he had big giant inflatable pontoons and two trolling motors. I was like, buddy, how you doing? Uh, what are you after there? You caught a bunch of smallmouths? And he said, no, I'm tired of those smallmouths getting on my lure all the time. We're here to eat rock bass. I wish I could program it where no smallmouth bit all day. We've mm -hmm. caught a million of them, and I'm mad. And they had a fairly distant stream <laughs> of rock bass. They were the, I never will forget that. They were after the rock bass. Huh. I think there's a lot more people out there that actually target rock bass and eat rock bass. Mm -hmm. And keep their um, mouth shut. And just keep their mouth shut. I mean, it's a it's a it's a resource. There's quite a bit of there's quite a bit of opportunity to do it, but those people just kind of keep their to themselves yeah. and enjoy what they got. I might go give it a try today. What's your favorite lures? Well, me, for well, rock bass? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to say the nice thing about rock bass is is one they're aggressive. The number one forage is they eat crayfish. Yeah, uh, they so anything brown black on the bottom is always green pumpkin. Uh, green pumpkin, you know. Um, 
you know, I throw a lot of like tube tube jigs with the weight inside. You know, the three I throw three and a half inch tube. Yeah, for them. I, we caught them yesterday. Chase caught them on a crappie size tube yeah. jig. You can downsize to a crappie size. Um, those like rebel little crawfish mm -hmm. crankbaits. Yeah. I, always, I don't throw the rebel, I mean, nothing against them. people love them, but yeah. I don't throw the rebel crankbaits on the creeks because I don't like treble hooks on yeah, the creeks. Yeah, me, I don't either. And Maybe if you're treble hooks. Is yeah, a... With a crawfish bait, you're kind of wanting to bang sand a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I just, I mean, I've, I've gotten them snagged and lost them. I like to, I like to Texas rig in the creeks a lot. So mm -hmm. I'll, I'll take a soft plastic crawl imitator and just Texas rig it and go about it that way. Yeah, I've been out there days that they won't hit nothing moving, and then I've been out there other days that you can't reel a bait yeah. fast enough. So well, that little TRD worm's a good, yeah, or we, the Ned we, rig. Yeah, yeah, I threw the TRD worm yesterday and caught largemouth and smallmouths on it. But uh, Jay Harall in the article said one of his favorite things for big rock bass is to take the uh, three-inch Cinco type baits. He, he yeah. uses the uh, not this Yamamoto brand. He uses another one and uh, wacky rig it. And I did that yesterday. Yeah. Did not catch a rock bass. However, I caught a really nice large mouth on it and a couple of small mouths. Just let it drift in the current and pull it up a little bit and man, they went crazy. Weightless too. The other thing I've had a lot of luck with that I played around with the last couple of years is those Bobby Garland, like the two inch little baby shad. Mm -hmm. I for mean, what, crappie. I mean, well, I bought them to, for crappie fish and then I thought, well, I don't know why a rock bass wouldn't. And I mean, I've caught a pile of them on that. So, I mean, again, I think a lot of that's habitat. You just gotta get in, get in places where they're at. Normally when you find one, that you're on a bunch of them. Mm -hmm. That's what happened normally, normally they're not by themselves. Normally, you find the end of that tree oh, yeah. or that good rock pile, make several casts at it. Yeah, root wides I seem to have caught mm -hmm. a lot. Of, and just right off, you make cast uh, ten feet more toward the middle of the the uh, creek and catch a smallmouth. But right mm -hmm. on that edge to the pooled water, right on the edge of that, you'll yeah. catch a rock bass. So, do you guys are you familiar with Pickett's Dam at all? No. In Shelby County? Well, some, I know some people are, and hopefully, I mean, it gets overfished as it is. A lot of people there. But I used to have really good luck smallmouth fishing, but you would get in these spots where you'd cast, and you'd be like, oh, there has to be a good smallmouth sitting there. And most of those areas I'm thinking of are kind of right in the middle of the creek, and there's some big chunk rock and like some big concrete slabs from where I mean, maybe there used to be a bridge or the dam got pushed out at one point. And you could literally cast after cast after cast behind those big boulders, mm -hmm. just pull every rock bass out of there. Mm -hmm. It seems like you put the rock bass back and just go straight back and he's biting your lure again. Yeah. yeah. So we've done a lot of shocking on streams and rivers. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, the outside bends with big cobble rock, boulder mm -hmm. type stuff are, are hot spots. Hmm. The other places, exactly what you just described, is you get in those like kind of those run areas where the water's like, maybe two three foot deep yep. it's got a little current but you get these like random rock piles that's perfect that's exactly what i'm and describing. i'll tell you what it's amazing how many of them things can be sitting in a rock pile mm -hmm. i mean you wouldn't think there many could be there but oh they just school up i guess they do and like like i said a lot of those places people overlook because yeah. they, they get so bank oriented and, mm -hmm. or that they they overlook that stuff that their boat's floating right over top of one of the things you told me if you throw right on the bank it's probably going to be a long ear sunfish. And that happened a ton yesterday. Set the, set the hook and you had to duck, duck because your lure's flying <laughs> right at your head. You, in the face. <laughs> you got to set the hook on nothing. And, yeah, because yeah. it's it's a little yeah. five inch uh, long yeah. ear sunfish. I'll yeah. tell you guys, in one, last night, so yesterday I met Kristen at the farm pond at my house and we caught some largemouth, nothing good. I mean, everything's just stunted in that pond, it seems like. And then we went to Lake Shelby 
and we were catfishing back mm-hmm. there in the back. I, I feel like where the creek meets the the lake there is a is a pretty good spot. There's a lot of cattails and there are a lot of frogs, and it seems like there's some catfish to be caught up there. And so we went and we set up and we uh, cast out three poles. And this Hispanic family came up and they were fishing not 20 yards from us, right? And they were pulling, I mean, I'm talking like four, five, and six-year-old kids. And they were pulling bluegill out and he'd run over there and show me his fish. How many have you caught? <laughs> I, was like, I was like, well, none yet. And then he, he'd run, a little kid would run back over there and then he'd catch another fish and knowing full and well that I hadn't caught a fish yet, he'd run back over there and how many of you caught now? <laughs> and you know, he was just rubbing it in my face. I hope you learned something anyway. Well, then this this little girl comes over and she's like, why don't you go somewhere you might actually catch a fish? <laughs> I was like, I think I'm okay where I'm at. She said, but you haven't caught any. And they were just smothering it right in my face, right? They pack up and leave, and not five minutes later, we start catching catfish. And I wanted that family to come back, back so bad down. so I could... See, my fish are bigger than yeah, you. Yeah, my fish eat your fish. <laughs> we, we caught some good channels up there, but I was thinking... Uh, Did you the, eat them? No, that's what I said. I caught a mess last night that I could have eaten, but we let them go. But, I mean, there are some decent catfish to be caught up there. I, I feel like the lake gets overfished, but uh, years ago when... So, I don't know if you're familiar with Shelby County or not, but they got the bypass, right? Mm-hmm. It goes around the north side of town. And they built a bridge over Clear Creek, probably two miles up from the lake. And while that bridge was under construction one night, I went over there and I was just standing there looking down and this John boat went under me and he probably had six, 10 plus pound catfish laid out on the hole. And I was thinking, there are some catfish up here mm-hmm. to be caught. So since then I've been, you know, trying to target some of those catfish and we go there occasionally and usually catch little bullheads or little channels, but I, I think occasionally there's a good one to be caught. Yeah. I'm not talking about a huge catfish, but there's some eaters. So, so yeah, we stock it every other year with catfish too. Really? So we have a management agreement with the, with, with the uh, park with the park over there. And yeah, we, we, we shock it. I mean, it's it's definitely got an opportunity to catch some big catfish. So you do shock that lake? Uh, yeah, periodically. Okay. It's part of our management agreement. And the, the bass, it's got a really good bass population. Um, it's one of those low low numbers, but the quality is really good. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> see some decent crappie in there. Really? See, so, I my biggest bass ever came out of that lake. Oh, no, there's some big fish that's come out of the lake. Well, I think it's a little biased, too, though, because I used to live in that neighborhood across the street mm-hmm. from the park. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, literally, I would just jump on my bike every day after school. I've probably, I mean, in all my life, I've probably still spent more time fishing that place than anywhere else, just because when I was in high school, I would put in, you know, 12 hours a week, every week for years and years and years. But I mean, yeah, it's called a seven, it was 6.15 was my, is my biggest bass and it came out of that lake. And it came out when it was drained actually. You know how they do mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. Every, they, they take out some of the silt. And well, they actually reshaped them. the lake last time. They, they built those islands. I was gonna say, it's kind of a cool looking thing. It's a fairly shallow lake. I fish behind those islands. But yeah, they, they took, trying to get some depth because it's so expensive to, to dredge and take the sediment off. They created vegetated islands to use it, and it's it's made some increased their shoreline. It's made some really cool yeah. places for the fish to get around. It's pretty neat little habitat project. Now they got geese problems. Yeah, they, yeah, the geese <laughs> love to nest on them little places. Yeah, exactly. Now they were they were talking about how it's going to be great for the waterfowl, which I'm sure it was. But then in, ten years down the road, they're talking about having overpopulation of geese. It's there. like anything; too much of something can be yeah. a bad thing. It's a it's a cool little lake, though. I remember so. I don't, people almost need to visualize this. It's a, it's a mud bottom lake. I mean, there's not any rock on it, except for there's that one bluff wall where there's probably some rock over by the dam, but it's mud bottom. So when they drained it, you know, I was like 13 years old or something. 
And we would walk out there and there was just a little bitty stream of water flowing right through the middle of the lake and that's it. But I mean, it was the muddiest, stickiest mess you've ever seen. And I heard a story, I didn't see it personally, but I heard that a couple people walked out there and sunk in the mud and got stuck and they actually had to bring a helicopter out to get them free. That's what I, that's what I always told. <laughs> I, I wouldn't doubt it. We did a habitat project at Elmer and we drained it down yeah. and did a shad kill and all that. And um, we got walking across one of the flats to put some material out and uh, hit a soft spot. And the gentleman that was with me, uh, he he sunk straight to his waist, just yeah. like that. And, there's no and it was that. very difficult to get him back out of the lake bottom. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I heard. The helicopter had to pull some people out of the it lake. Was, it was quite comical for everybody, yeah. but the gentleman stuck in the uh, mud. No but I I've mean, had that happen at farm ponds. You sink to your difficult. knees and you have to kind of rock back and forth and get that suction broke. Oh, you wonder if you're going to get your boot back? Yeah. Well, yeah. a lot of times <laughs> yeah. it stayed down there and you yeah. have to reach, go back and reach down yeah. there and pull your shoe out. So you were talking about shocking Elmer and, and Lake Shelby and all these places. What, where else do you, I mean, pretty much all the public waterways, anywhere you have an agreement? Yeah, I mean, some, some of our state on lakes that we cover is like Bullock Pen, Bolts, mm -hmm. Corinth, kind of coming down that 75 corridor. Okay. Um, we have Beaver Lake down in Anderson County, Elmer up in Owen County. Mm -hmm. We got our, one of our newest lake we have is Kenman Lake Benji. on the Kentucky River Wildlife Management Area yeah. and the three other ponds associated with it. Um, mm -hmm. A couple of our bigger, as bigger lakes we do is we've got Taylorsville Lake, uh -huh. Harrington, and then we've got management agreements with a lot of other uh, smaller lakes, uh, county-owned lakes, things yeah. like that. Are you going to ask a question, Lee? Yes. Um, speaking of that, what... What's the current status of the Boone Track Lakes? You know, the, the big one and the what we call the six acre lake and then the 15 acre pond up the hill. Okay. How are things doing? Where are these at? These are in Henry County on it, the Kentucky River WMA. So they're, okay, near Kenman. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Yeah, so so the biggest water body is Kenman Lake. It's uh, 88 acres. Um, we have done a tremendous amount of work. Uh, we bought the lake. It had, some, had a handful of big fish in it. The bad thing was is they had they apparently had some bad spawns and there wasn't any fish behind them to speak of. So we had a, a population of big fish, we had a lot of little fish, and those big fish don't live forever. I mean, bass here in Kentucky, you know, about 12 years is what we get out of. They've either, they've aged out. Yeah. Now we're, we're, we got in this, we're in this gap where we have very low numbers of 15 to 20 inch fish. And that's what we're trying to fill in. So. Well, a, those are very popular lakes. Very popular. So some things we've done to try to improve the growth and to help speed this recovery time back up for the lake is uh, we've removed like 30,000 pounds of buffalo and common carp from the lake um, over the last four years. Because the river floods it on occasion, correct? Periodically, some of these historical flooding events. Uh, yeah. this, this past year, we were about two feet from the Kentucky River spilling over into it. Yeah. So it got really close this year, but um, it has in recent years periodically. So we've taken a ton of rough fish out. So basically what that equates to is a pond, a lake, a stream can only hold and support so many pounds of fish. Yeah. Kimmins no different. Well, we had it all tied up. A lot of it tied up in buffalo and carp that are of no benefit to us in managing for a sport fish population in a lake. We took them out. We've freed up a lot of resources for the sport fish left. We've also looked at water quality type stuff, um, very acidic. We've come in and we've done a lot of liming to try to buffer. And, and Benji Kimmins very acidic? Mm-hmm. Hmm. So, uh, so we've done a, t a bunch of liming. We've already put out like 200 tons of lime in the lake in the last two years, putting out lime again this year. 
Um, it's a very steep sided lake. Um, not a lot of shallow spawning type areas and whatnot. We went into a lot of rock work and put out a lot of trees and created spawning habitat. The cool thing about that was, is I was up there uh, Friday and we pulled up to our big gravel spawning areas and there were bluegill beds all over them, fanned out in them. You, we put Christmas trees and a lot of complex stuff around them to give the fry places to hide. We had we had a pile of little bass. We've had two different size, sizes of bluegills. We've had two different uh, spawns out of the bluegill this year. Um, so things are definitely moving in a very good direction. Our, we've, we've started having shad spawns again in the lake. Uh, the buffalo were competing directly with our shad and a lot of our small fish. Uh, filtering the plankton out of the water. So huh. we're, we're seeing very big improvements. We've seen condition of our fish improve, growth rates have improved. Now what we need is just some time to let it fill in. Yeah, yeah. and that probably happens with a lot of small lakes, right? Yeah, it, it does. I mean, a lot of our lakes, I mean, every lake's very different. And that's one thing we try to explain to people mm -hmm. is that just because you have two water bodies on each side of the road, uh -huh. they can behave very differently. Well, than each I guess other. it's a little different because some small lakes are stream fed or creek fed, and some of them, the Kinman, I mean, it probably is fed by a very small stream, right? It, uh, it actually is just runoff from the hillsides. It okay. comes out of those ravines. So there's no way those that hollers. those buffalo and carp would be able to get in there unless the river floods. Correct. But some small lakes that are fed by, you know, a small creek could potentially have. You know, mm -hmm. rough fish that get in there on the Yeah, own. like Shelby Lake has a lot yeah. of rough fish in it. Because that's a fairly good sized creek. It, it's just a dammed up creek. So yeah. you still have all this spawning habitat yeah. up the creek, you know, keeping that stock. So a lake like that, you couldn't necessarily manage the same way as Kenman because you have less control over it, really. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, you can't go in and kill out a whole creek. It wanted to be impossible, too, you know. Yeah. Well, so, yeah, so you definitely have to set management goals based on what you're working with. Yeah. So, like, out on the Kentucky River, Kinman Lake, we manage it for crappie, bass, and channel catfish. Which is, I mean, the way I understand it, pretty ideal. Yeah, which is not a bad setup. Yeah. Now, the ponds around it, we've got uh, we've got a four acre that's on the same side mm -hmm. of the road as Kinman. Uh, just recently, it was named Prather Pond. Mm -hmm. um, so that one, the the six acre crossroad, and then we've got one you got to hike up uh, up the hill to. It's fifteen acres. What's what's that one like? You know, I've, I've bank fished it, but I've not, I wanted to float to that. Really. Yeah, it's a it's a clear lake. It's got vegetation in it. It has probably the best bluegill fishing of any of those three ponds. Um, all it's got in it is just bass and bluegill. And they're doing real, bass are a little crowded. Uh, there are some crappie in it, but we, we see like nine inch bluegill in it. Oh, geez. So, so it, it's a really good opportunity. You got to put a little effort to get to it, mm -hmm. but it's it's worth it. So, it's steep got walking up the yeah, end of it. Yeah, so so it's kind of neat. In one property, we've got like three ponds that we're trying to manage for uh, bass and bluegill, for quality bluegill. And then we have the big lake that we're trying to push more for like trophy bass, um, big crappie. And the cat, channel catfish are doing phenomenal in there. They're, they're, they're huge. I mean, I've seen trophy channel catfish in that lake. It's a great uh, kayaking lake because it's trolling motor or it's uh, idle speed only. It's idle speed only now. Um, <clears throat> we actually have made some big improvements. We've the, Our engineering crews, they went up there. We've got a big tea fishing pier on it. We've got a concrete boat ramp with a courtesy dock. The cool thing about that is, is we use the old gravel ramp and have created a paddle craft access. Mm -hmm. So people with canoes, kayaks, have their own designated area mid lake to put in uh -huh. 
and everybody gets to spread out and yep. there's no conflict uh, at the ramp. Oh, that is a cool idea. So you were talking a minute ago about how a body of water can only support a certain number of pounds of fish, right? Correct. Okay, and that comes down to just how much nutrition is available or how? A lot of it's a lot of it's nutrient driven, yeah. So it doesn't make it's not like X number of pounds of certain species or X number. Of, so it's literally biomass. It's it's complete poundage of fish. It doesn't matter what the fish are. Okay. So can you change that number by doing some work like you like you said? Yeah. So another example is trying to change a population, Beaver Lake. Uh huh. It's one down in Anderson County that we deal with. Uh, shad, I mean not shad. The largemouth bass spawns are phenomenal mm -hmm. i mean they're excessive we get too many so what happens you get too many too many bass they're competing for a certain a limited amount of food resource yeah. they get stunted out they don't grow well yeah so so to change that what we've done is we actually go down and take out those little fish fewer mouths to feed there's uh -huh. more food to go around for the fish that are left and it increases how fat they are their condition picks their growth rates back up and then we can start growing fish back out to those 15-inch, yeah. 16-, 18-inch fish. The problem we've had before at Beaver is they've gotten so uh, crowded that we couldn't get a fish, struggle to get a fish on average to grow past 12 inches. Huh. Yeah, and I see that in the farm pond by my house. Yeah. It's, I mean, it just seems like they're all stunned. And, and we struggle with a lot of our bluegill lakes um, because we've gotten to an era where catch and release, catch and release, catch and release. Catch and release is not a bad thing in certain situations. Yeah. But there are situations where not harvesting is detrimental to the overall health and condition of your uh, fishery. Um, so it's something we, we encourage people. The, the rules are out there in a way for you to enjoy the fisheries. The, it's a renewable resource. Mm -hmm. They make new fish every mm -hmm. year. Mm -hmm take fish out, it actually benefits the population long-term. I mean, that's why you go to all the trouble to have regulations. So yeah. you can take this many every day mm -hmm. and it will not impact the population. Well, that's, what, that's exactly what the regulation means. That's what it's for. Yeah. This amount of harvest is acceptable to maintain this population. Well, and some amount of harvest is probably needed. Yes, it is. That's what Always. I'm saying. So it's not, if everybody was catch and release, catch and release, then we wouldn't be getting the man, because harvest is management. Mm -hmm. It's just like when you're deer it's hunting. It's a tool. It's a tool. Yeah, it's a management us. tool. Yeah. So you aren't getting the management if you're not. They, yeah, they do the same thing with quality deer management. Yeah. I mean, you need to harvest a selective deer. harvest to, to grow those bigger individuals. So I went out with uh, one of your co-workers, Jeff Crosby, yeah. not too long ago on a farm pond close to um, why can I not think of his name? Kenman. Benji Kenman. Thank yeah. you. I said his name. It's, it's, it's hard to. <laughs> Benji Kenman. Yeah, it's yeah. hard not to say his the name. The one, the only. Yeah, I saw Benji. him the other day. Yeah, I saw him yesterday driving down the road. But we went to a farm pond there, and the point of the piece we were, you know, Chad was host. I was just filming this one, was to talk about managing your farm pond mm -hmm. because the department provides technical guidance and assistance for people with farm ponds, right? Yeah, we have we have a website that has a lot of information yeah. out there. We, think we, do, we do get we do, do get calls. You do a lot of team. We do guidance. we get a lot of calls and, yeah. and people ask us like, here's what we're catching, this is what we would like to catch, yeah. how do we get there? Yeah. And and we, we can provide that information. I thought some of the I learned quite a bit while we were out there with them the other day. And I guess, it, and I might step on, step on your toes here and if I say something, just let me know or All tell right. me. But what I kind of learned was, um, you know, bass, bluegill, and channel catfish are kind of the recommended species for a farm pond, right? All you have to have to make a farm pond work is bluegill and largemouth bass. Yeah. So basically the 
The bluegill reproduce at high rates. They provide the food for your bass to eat. Mm -hmm. Bluegill feed off of bugs and aquatic insects in your mm -hmm. pond. That's all you have to have to make a pond. That's a whole food chain right there. Yeah. Channel catfish is actually an optional fish. Okay. It, some people like them. They're yeah. a good addition to your pond. Yeah. But we tell people, hey, if you don't, if you're never going to fish for them, you don't like them, don't put them in there because they add to your biomass. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if you're not going to utilize them, why not have more bass and bluegill? That's true. That's true. So it, it's a give and take. Yeah. I mean, so you got to think every time you add something, you're taking away from something else that can be there. I think that biomass number is something that people. I mean, that doesn't really always click. Yeah. I guess you can be running a lot less than your maximum biomass, but once you hit it, you're you're at it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and what we tell people is, especially on farm ponds, is that, you know, you hit the you hit your maximum carrying capacity, the maximum number of pounds of fish you can carry. So here's what happens. If you don't harvest, Mother Nature resets the clock for mm -hmm. you. Problem is, nobody likes how Mother Nature does it. Yeah. Because she, she takes the top of your top of your big fish off. You lose your big bass, your big they start out or It's oxygen depletion. Okay. Big fish have a higher demand for oxygen, so they can't tolerate low oxygen. Okay. Oxygen typically drops. You lose your big fish. The little fish survive it. Well, then they start building back up moving forward. Yeah. Nobody likes that game. Yeah. Harvest. Mm -hmm. You control what gets taken out, and you pull it back a little bit off that maximum capacity of your pond, Yeah. and you don't never lose your big fish. I like that. Or the likelihood is a lot less. So well, so you do it because you get to control how it happens. Yeah. If not, Mother Nature at some point will do it for yeah. you, and, and it's going to be very upsetting. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. The late Ted Kroll had two great sayings. You remember I Uncle Ted? Ted. Yeah. He was great. Um, he said, first, it's not a sin to eat a fish. You know, uh -huh. He says, we've gotten so crazy about catch and release that people are reluctant to harvest anything. It's like, that's why we do the regs. That's why we go to all this trouble, so you can eat these fish. Mm -hmm. And the way he used to explain to me about biomass and carrying capacity, he was like, Lee, if you have, I have a 12-ounce cup in front of me with water. He says, once you get that filled with water, you can pour a gallon of water over that cup, but it's still only going to hold 12 ounces. Yep. So, you know, people, what he was responding to is people always like, stock more fish, stock more fish. Well, if things are out of whack, stocking more fish, you might as well throw them on the road going to the lake because it's not going to do any good. Right, and, and it's, it's, it's pretty comical when we talk to people on the phone about their ponds and everybody thinks that's the number one fix-all, stock, stock more, more fish. We actually do not recommend stocking fish very often. Because yeah. with managing a lake, a pond, or whatever, it's taking what you have and then you manipulate it to get it to where you want it to go. So typically they have the right ingredients. You just got to get them in the proportions to make the product you want at the end of the day, mm -hmm. being that big bluegill or big bass, or you're just looking for that nice middle ground where you get a little bit of everything. Yeah. So I think Crosby uh, said recommendations were like 120 bass per acre to 400 bluegill per acre or somewhere and to start yeah. off. At to start off, that's a new, new pond stocking rate. Yeah. And then you were talking about you don't want to stock very often. He said five or seven years later, maybe you see, you know, you make an adjustment, restock something else or... And probably what he was referring to is uh, channel, cat, channel catfish, once you put bass and bluegill in there, they reproduce in your pond yeah. and they make, they make the next generation moving forward. Channel catfish are different. Channel catfish typically don't reproduce in a pond. So what happens is what you put in, we call put, grow and take. You put it in, you let it grow to mm -hmm. a harvestable size, you take it out, you eat it, and you have to replace the fish you okay. take out because they won't reproduce. It's not a bad problem because typically when we get reproduction in a pond, 
um, they muddy your pond up yep. and they overpopulate, they get stunted. So grass carp or control mechanism we, we use at times, they're mm -hmm. the same way, they're triploid, they won't reproduce. Again, if you lose them over time, you have to replace them. Yeah. And like catfish, a lot of times we tell people is, let's say, example, you put 100 in, you let them grow for a year or two, they get up to eating size, you, you, you take you catch out, let's say, 50 of those 100. Well, go ahead and put 50 back in, and what it does is it keeps you a rotation going where you always have eater-sized fish and you've got fish coming on. Okay. And, and so trying to catch out 100 fish and then put 100 back in, then yeah. you get these, like, couple yeah. year gaps where you oh, don't have fish sense. to eat. That makes a lot of sense. So that's some of that ro rotation probably was talking about for stocking was yeah. probably with the catfish. So I know your your area doesn't have any of the big lakes like Cumberland or Dale no. or Laurel or Kentucky. So those are big, deep lakes, right? Mm -hmm. Is the carrying capacity, I mean the biomass, are we, we're probably nowhere near on those lakes, are we? Because it doesn't seem like oxygen would be a big issue. Yeah, typically oxygen is the limiting factor. Um, on a lot of these water bodies uh -huh. because we have to get through the fall turnover. Mm -hmm. And the problem is, is you want a turnover to be a slow process. The deeper a lake is, there's more unoxygenated water mm -hmm. than there's oxygenated water. So the opportunity for that to overwhelm the oxygenated water is, is higher. Yeah, uh, but if it happens slow, it's not a big deal. I mean, it happens every year. It's just a part of nature. Um, but typically, um, you know, it's acre feet, how many fish per acre feet, uh, so you're basically looking at how much surface acreage you have versus your average depth of water they can okay. live in. So like, you know, like around like Taylorsville, when we work on, mm -hmm. during the summer, all your fish are going to be in your top 10 to 12 foot of water. Yeah, yeah. because of the thermocline. Because of the thermocline. Um, you go to some of our smaller lakes, it may be all your fish in the top 8 feet of water. So that kind of mm -hmm. sets your carrying capacity. you got to look at the absolute worst time of the year. Okay, that makes sense. And that sets, because... You know, during the winter, they can live top to bottom. You've got this huge volume of water. Yeah. But when it gets to summer and it, all, it shrinks with that thermocline, yeah. that's actually your carrying capacity because that's all I can get through that, that pinch point. So I'm yeah. thinking, so just now before you said that, it makes perfect sense. I was thinking you have all this water, so you should be able to have a ton more fish. But it doesn't seem like there are, you know, like per volume of water, that volume of fish in those lakes. But what you said makes perfect sense with the thermocline mm -hmm. coming up because really the only usable water is gonna be what's oxygenated. Correct. So, so I know we've talked about it a long time ago, thermocline and turnover. Mm -hmm. a, a lot of people who are listening might not understand exactly what those are. So turnover, the first one, it happens every fall and in the spring? It's it's a fall, fall event. Fall. Okay, fall. It's a fall event. And basically what- You can have, you can have a, like a winter going to spring turnover, yeah. but uh, we don't typically have cold enough winters. That's a huge deal here. Basically, what people have to think about is, you know, what's warm rises, what's cold sinks. Mm -hmm. Correct. It's and, a density thing. Yeah, and then so once it cools, <clears throat> it sinks. Yeah, correct. Mm -hmm. You got the hot water on top in the summer, and then as it starts to cool off, that top layer of water starts to cool off as well and becomes colder than the water below it, so and it sinks. So and it's, that, explain and that. That creates that. That creates that mix. So here's one thing: everybody knows what a thermocline is, even if they don't really know the term. Okay. That's just some fancy word, but if you've jumped into a lake, you know, you've been at a lake, you've jumped in or jumped into a farm pond and you go down a little bit and you're like, whoo, I got cold. Yeah. <laughs> you cross that thermocline layer, that's that cold, unoxygenated water that you got your feet into and you're like, I don't like that, I like the warm water on top. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's that transition. 
So everybody, everybody, everybody like, knows what that yeah. feels like. Especially when you're tall like me. You can just yeah. be swimming around and feeling it on your shoulders. Yeah, I mean, I got to go underwater. But. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's a good way to put it. But so, it's, it's all has to do with oxygen. It's all oxygen dependent. So, um, and so basically the warm water floats, like you said, and that mm -hmm. has the oxygen in it. Uh, oxygen gets there through sunlight penetration of the water, all your plant material, uh, plankton. Wind. Uh, it drives that, that uh, photosynthesis and puts yeah. that in there. Um, and then, like you said, the cold water sinks. So what happens in the fall is, is you start getting these cool nights. That, that layer of water right at that interface between the atmosphere and the water cools down, and it'll sink. It'll sink down to that thermocline. If it's cold enough, it'll sink through the thermocline. And what you want is you want that to happen slowly. Wind can really drive that to happen faster. Mm -hmm. Big rain events can, where you get a lot of impulse of water. Especially cold rain. Yes, yes that can cause mixing. And again, if it happens really fast, we get phone calls. My pond's turned over, my fish are floating dead. Yeah. So, you know, this is something you want to happen over a two, three week period, uh, not something you want to happen overnight. Because if it happens fast, that oxygenated water is going to mix and dilute really quickly. Yeah. And then there won't be enough oxygen. There's at the top. Yeah. Typically, um, in most ponds, I mean, lakes definitely, is that there's a bigger volume of water that is unoxygenated during the summer than that has oxygen in it. Yeah. So, yeah, so if it makes us fast, it just sucks the oxygen out to the point that you have an oxygen kill. Yeah. If it huh. happens slowly, you still get a dip in the oxygen, but a lot of times, like Taylorsville and some of these big lakes, what you'll see is we tell people, during the turnover, if you start smelling that rotten egg smell, don't mm -hmm. fish there. Mm -hmm. Go to the back of the creeks in that shallow water. So these big lakes happen at different parts yeah. of the lakes happen at different times. So move around like Taylorsville, when the main lake's turning over, typically the if you go up towards Van Buren Channing, it's already already done and over mm -hmm. with yeah. and then fish have recovered. That makes sense. So yeah. you can move around in these big reservoirs and actually get away from a turnover. Yeah. John Williams explained it to me. I've written several things on turnover and challenging conditions in the fall, which it is. But yes. like Cumberland, like say Otter Creek arm, that'll turn over. Mm -hmm. Then Beaver Creek will turn over. Yeah. Then a bunch of the other arms will turn over. Then finally the main lake turns it's over. It's the last thing because it's so got you, the most volume to, to change. Yeah. So you can move around on these big waters. And, Absolutely. And he always said that, that rotten egg smell is a, is a big it's a tell -tell If you smell that, go, go somewhere else. Move. Yeah. Huh. Well, I just think it makes so much sense how you said, because I never had thought about the productive water. I mean, I don't know what the term for that water is, but even on the deep, like Laurel Lake, 200 feet deep, Cumberland, 180 feet deep, there's still only X amount of water. That and, is, and different lakes set up differently. Yeah. I mean, like... Well, I know, like, you can catch striper 50 feet deep on Cumberland. Correct. Yeah. Right, and again, the the more nutrient input, the more productive and the more fertile the lake is, the shallower that thermocline is going to mm -hmm. be. More of your uh, nutrient-limited lakes mm -hmm. and clearer lakes, the yeah. sunlight can penetrate further. So, so it has, yeah, like your Cumberland and Laurel Dale, yeah. they have very deep thermoclines okay. because I mean, of you that. can have them down to 90 feet. Yeah. Like, you know, and sometimes in Cumberland, you'll get a split. You'll get a two-story fishery. Yeah, you'll get a two-story fishery. There'll be no oxygen between 65 and 90 feet, and the stripers will be at 90 feet. Mm -hmm. And that's when we get those bad years and that collapses. They can't get back up to that yeah, upper layer. They'll, have a kill. they'll suffocate. Yeah. Uh, we actually, at Harrington, we almost every year we actually start the year off with a really nice two-story fishery and about right now it, that bottom one will collapse every year it collapses so people always ask us why can't we do striper walleye things like that because that. because it collapses and hmm. we, we experience a fish kill every year we've tried it we've documented it we've done the water test 
and it just it just can't support it through the bad hot months, and summer you, months. You can uh, go to some of the district websites for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, and you can watch they do where the thermocline, they do a weekly they, yeah. dissolved oxygen, and where it moves hard on the graft right at that place, that's where the thermocline is. Yep. Like Barron, it's around 20 feet. Correct. And we did a habitat project last week. I went and covered it, and you were down yeah. there. And most of the habitat they dropped was at that summer thermocline. That magic number. That, so, so it's always available. So, yeah, so we, we do a lot of habitat projects, you know. Uh, so, like, our small lakes, our state-owned lakes we do, we do on, our thermoclines typically no deeper than 10 feet. We put all of our habitat in 10 feet or less because we want our anglers to be able to use that as a fish attractor, a place they can go fish 12 months out of the year. Yeah. So we specifically put them up closer to the bank or out on flats to keep them in a certain depth range for that reason. That being said, one of the number one issues we see on uh, our lakes is people during the summer fish under the thermocline and yeah. they're like, hey, the fish aren't biting. And, then, and they're like, I don't understand. It's like, how deep did you fish? Like we ran into some, a group at Taylorsville and they're like, hey, we fished 30 feet deep for catfish. It's like, well, the thermocline right now is at like 12 feet. Every fish in this lake is in the top 12 foot of water. And they're like, well, that stinks, you know. <laughs> so basically we were fishing and no, no opportunity. So they said, all right, we're going to come back and we're going to try, try to play the game that way. They come back, did the same thing the next week. They fished at 10 or 12 foot, adjusted how they were doing it, and wore them out. Because, I mean, it seems like fish would be even more concentrated if mm -hmm. that. It is, because what the fish are preferring when it gets hot like this, water temperatures in the 80s, pushing 90, is they want to be in the coolest water possible Yeah. because it has the most oxygen That's in a, it. I was going to ask you about this. So, yeah, so the hotter water gets, the less oxygen it holds. The colder it is, the more oxygen it holds. So they got to find this like perfect interface where this water is sitting on top of these layers are at because they want to be comfortable. Like they want air conditioning. It's their air conditioning. Mm -hmm. They want to be comfortable and cool and it's less stressful because it has the most oxygen. Yeah. So yeah, if you can find that, that two foot window, yeah, it can be magical. So like if you were, say I was going to Dell this weekend, which would be a bad weekend. Well, Dell's probably not too bad of a party. Like say I was going to Dell this weekend, I could look up where the thermocline is, right? Correct. And then my best bet might be to try to fish two feet above that thermocline that's yep. what that's what we tell people like we got a lot of like, people jugging and you know uh that tells like hey it's at 12 feet set your set your jugs at eight mm -hmm. yeah you want to be two two to four feet above that thermocline because they're gonna have a lot of fish hanging out in that area yeah and i mean not if you're jugging especially a catfish yeah. can smell it's probably better to let them smell from above than below yeah most most fish prefer to come up to, to yeah. hit versus the opposite well, the only i mean you can kind of look at a fish as eyes and how its mouth is shaped and kind of see most fish's eyes are on the top of its head for a reason yeah, yep so i mean i guess asian carp might be the only one i can think <laughs> of that yeah they're looking left and right i don't know i don't let, let. how does that work i mean how do you look left and right at the same time because i mean you know when i'm looking at something that's why right they now, were jumping into the face of that dam they didn't see it coming <laughs> <laughs> might be true i just want to know what their perspective is you know because we because yeah, all know. we can know is our own yeah, perspective they're but the ugliest they're bizarre. Martian looking things I've ever seen. Those guys were catching them down to the the falls the other day. I mean, I, I don't know if they were targeting them or not, but when they would catch them, they would take a knife to them and they were cutting, I don't know, I mean, they were getting kind of the back section of the tails. Yeah. Is there any certain reason for that? Why they wouldn't take the whole fillet? Probably, probably just because they didn't want to have to try to cut through the rib cage. So they were cutting behind the rib cage yeah. through, down the tail. So, so there's a lot of people, you know, especially like, you know, Asian carp. I mean, because if you, if you get into them, you can get a lot in a hurry and it just it's a lot quicker that way mm -hmm. you just cut behind the rib cage and 
and they're good to eat. I mean, yeah. that part of it, especially on silver carp, is really good. Yeah, I mean, they're good, good to eat. They're, they got a lot. They got a lot of small Y bones in them. But as far as the flavor, I mean, they have no fish flavor, which is very appealing. So whatever you season it with when you cook it is what it tastes like. There's no fish flavor at all. So if I wanted to catch an Asian carp rod and reel, is there a way to target those? I mean, they're filter feeders, so they're just going through the water just with their mouth open. Just throw something small at So there. a lot of people will just throw out in front of them just because their mouth is open. They'll suck in a bait or something. It's like, like maybe a, little, fish. Maybe yeah. a little hair jig or something. Um, you know, there's people, you, you know, at snack form. A Popeye maybe. Throw a Popeye under a bobber and just throw it out there. And So, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, to catch a lot of rod and reel and try to get it to hook it in the mouth is more of an accidental thing than yeah. you can actually put something out there that they're targeting because you know they're just filtering. A good way to get them is with a bow. That's Absolutely. A, yeah. Uh, we're going to go do that sometime soon. I talked to Rachel Kroom. I think we got a trip planned for... She does a good job with them. Two weeks or so, yeah. Well, I went out with her last year on the uh, Ohio, and that was a lot of fun. Yeah. So I think we're going to try to do it again this year. First time I ever got gut, gut punched by one. It was like a 45-pound big head just right in the gut. Mm -hmm. And I did not get an arrow in that fish. <laughs> Let's see. What else you got, Lee? Well, um... One thing I want to talk about is everybody talks about Elkhorn, Elkhorn, Elkhorn. They think of the main stem. One of the places we went yesterday um, that, that gives you more opportunity was that we went below Great Crossings Dam. It's mm -hmm. very easy. That was in Georgetown. Right. And there are four dams. We talked about this in the Rock Bass piece, but there's one at Oser Landing, one at Cardome, and one downtown. So there's ramps there Correct. that if you want to put a John boat in and fish basically the flat water for bluegill and largemouth bass, you can do that. Mm -hmm. But if you want to do a little exercise or you want to catch smallmouth and rock bass, you could paddle up or motorboat up to where that goes back to its pool riffle mm -hmm. and fish that transitional water, catch smallmouth and rock bass. Right. And that's a unique uh, opportunity here in central Kentucky. I, I didn't see a single person yesterday use the ramp at Great Crossings. Yeah, I'll tell you. There I mean, a lot I'll, of people fishing below I'll, the dam, but I didn't see anybody put in the ramp go up. Yeah, actually, I live in Scott County, and I mean, there is probably more use below the dam than there is probably above and but if you're willing to put in the work and get up there you can escape about 90 percent of the fishing pressure if you put in mm -hmm. and, and go up to the where the interface correct yeah that's the thing is i mean i'll, I'll, I'll take my john boat and it's kind of nice because you can put in and, and a lot of a lot of even the bigger like i'm even thinking like barren there's even some dams like on barren and green mm -hmm. that it doesn't back water up to the next one but yeah you can put in and you just go keep going until you get back to that you know riffle pool complex habitat and i mean there's like there's like a transition area there where you go from your like more of your lake pond species the bluegill largemouth bass type stuff to where it's all of a sudden it's like you start popping rock bass smallmouth mm -hmm. and uh yeah i mean it's kind of the best of both worlds if you want to put the effort in and go up there there's a lot of fish there to be caught if you just want to hang out and close to the ramp and then do that then there's plenty of fish there to be caught and if you want to wait go below the dam Mm -hmm. You can weigh below those dams. Most they have uh, public access. Yes, yeah, so, yeah. I mean, that's the nice thing about you know is that they do provide access on every one of those pools. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of a lot of different opportunities to, to be had there. Let's see. I wanted to. Do, I don't know what else you have there. So we've gone. Well, I've got a. Go ahead. What you've got to get going? No, I was going to say there's a few other things I wanted to mention. One, one other thing. You know, you you manage so many smaller lakes. And a lot of people are getting into kayak fishing on the smaller lakes. I'm seeing more than I ever have. Absolutely. And um, also people, John boats. Not everybody can afford a bass boat. I can't. Um, 
Yeah. We work you know, here. What, what are you? I don't, yeah, no doubt. I've got, <laughs> I've got a 14-foot John boat. I fish yeah. that up. Um, and, and a canoe. You've got a 14-foot kayak. <laughs> I have two kayaks. I'm yeah. splitting the difference. Um, and flow tubes um, that I haven't used in years. Your three best largemouth lakes in your district. Uh, as, as far as if you're wanting to go out and catch a trophy-sized 20-plus inch fish, the three lakes that I would recommend for us, number one would be Kincaid Lake over in Falmouth. Mm -hmm. Hands down, year after year, produces, it's just a bias factor for producing big fish. Um, our second second lake, and it's kind of a tie for second and third, it would be a Bullock Pen and mm -hmm. Gibbs Creek Lake. Yes. Those three are just notorious for seeing fish over five pounds. Yeah. My follow-up question is, I fish Gibbs Creek a lot, and I hear from a lot of people, I've fished Kincaid very infrequently, not very much. Right. I fished Gibbs Creek a lot. I'm fishing on it two weeks ago. Um, why, why are the, is it because of fishing pressure? Those are the smartest bass in the state of Kentucky. I mean, I know they're in there, and some people <laughs> catch them, but it can, they can be tough. Especially, I hear a lot of people complain about Kincaid. All three of those lakes are very humbling. Yeah. I mean, we're spoiled. We go out there as a shocking boat. They're always biting. <laughs> it would absolutely blow people's mind for the numbers of big fish we see. Um, but here's, here's part of the reason why they're big there is that they actually have a buffet of food resources out there. They've got little bluegill and they've got shad, they've got bullheads. They've got small, mostly have stunted crappie, that little crappie. So they're stuffed, they're huge, they're fat. They're not actively out hunting food. They just lay there and the food comes to them, basically. So a good time to get them could be spawn. So they are a little bit more vulnerable during the spawn because they do kind of move up on the bank. But again, the problem with during the spawn is that they got other things on their mind yeah. other than, than eating, but they, they still eat some. But the, the reason those are our big bass lakes is because of the amount of forage available to them, and it makes them hard to catch. So we tell people, like, you manage a pond, they're like, I want trophy bass. I'm like, well, to get trophy bass, you have to have low numbers of bass, let your crappie and your forage become crazy abundant, but you're also going to sacrifice your catch rate. Yeah. Because, true. and that's kind of what you see in those three lakes. So fishing pressure, does it play a role? I mean, everybody blames it on that because... I, I, I don't... We've got a ton of fishing pressure. I mean, I ain't going to say we don't. I'm glad that people are out there using it. That's what we're in business for. That's what we want people to do. The re, the resource... The fishing pressure has not hurt it. Those fish have seen a lot of baits come by their head. There ain't no doubt they can probably name them by brand at this point. <laughs> uh, but again, I think at the end of the day... I think a, a bass is either they're either you either they're hungry or they're not hungry. So I, a lot of times I sit there and joke, going, "Okay, if they're not hungry, you can't force feed them a creature bait yeah, or a no jig." But I'm like, sometimes a bass out of just instinct will hit a moving bait. So sometimes I'm like, "Hey, if you can't feed, get them to feed, then what you need to do is throw something that he's going by their face and just makes them mad, and they just hit it out of aggression." Yeah. So. Um, but no, the, the fisheries are fine. There's a tremendous amount of fish. So you hear this all the time, and I Absolutely. say they're, they're chock full of big ones. Well, I can't catch them. And people, people kind of look at us like we're about half nuts. That being said, our bluegill lakes, if you're looking for a lake that you can go out and catch. That was my next question. If you want to go out and catch bass in high numbers, you know, go catch 20, 30 bass a trip is what you're after. And you're okay with you're going to catch a lot of 8 to 13, 14 inch fish. 
I would say try Elmer, try Beaver, you know, try Corinth. Again, McNeely. McNeely is an, another excellent uh, opportunity. Again, they're a little bit more crowded, so there's more numbers of them because we're wanting to put pressure on, our, on the bluegill to grow better bluegill. They're hungrier because there's more of them out there. And again, they're fighting over a limited food supply. They, they typically will bite a lot uh, more consistent than, I guess, Creek or a Kincaid or a Bullock pen. So depends on what you're after, but big fish are those three. If you want to go just catch numbers of fish, you may try the other ones. And Taylorsville, Taylorsville you got always still in the mix. It's a good lake. Mm -hmm. um, bluegill, if you want big bluegill, let's, let's split it up. Shellcracker, red ear sunfish. Probably our best opportunity to go catch a big shellcracker. I mean, I'm talking like trophy 10 inch. Uh, McNeely Lake and Elmer Davis Lake are probably- A lot of people will find that hard to believe because McNeely is in Jefferson County. It is in Louisville and it's inside of a, a county park. And it absolutely is one of the most impressive all around lakes we have. For what species? Bass, bluegill, and crappie. I'm gonna look and that And red ear. I've never fished it. We were out this spring on McNeely and uh -huh. red ear, yeah. So we went up there, we out this spring, we got, we shocked up seven pound bass, largemouth bass. We see 10 inch shellcracker. We see bluegill over eight inches. We see like 12, <laughs> 13 inch crappie in it. Yeah. And we, we stock it with channels and it's mid 20 inch channel catfish. So where, where's this like at? I might look it up. I just moved a little. It's off, it's off the Gene Snyder. It's a uh, Cooper Chapel it's Road, a, is it? Yep. You get off there at Cooper Chapel Road exit. Um, there's signs that kind of get you back out of the park. I'm going to look it up. It's, it's and the better easy. side is on the side away from the park where you have to paddle over on the opposite mm -hmm. side. We have, a, we have a boat ramp there so you can launch. It's a electric motor only. So uh, it's a great, it's a great John boat or paddle, paddle yeah. craft lake. How big is it? It's like 50 something acres. So it's pretty good size little body of water. Yeah. It, and uh, habitat looks really good in it. Mm -hmm. um, there's water willow beds. There's some old beaver, beaver lodges in it. Uh, that are some hot spots. Yeah. We've done habitat work there, pulled up on our website. It's all marked on our maps. So you can kind of see where we drop yeah. a lot of that stuff at. Oh, okay. So yeah. that's a good idea. I was gonna do, you just hit me in the head with a, a thought that there's a new fishing app that's gonna come out sometime in the near future. We're working on it. Yeah, I've seen kind of the beta version of it mm -hmm. and I played with it a little bit. It looks really cool, but it's mm -hmm. basically an app that people, whenever it comes out, I've, I've been told maybe two weeks, maybe a, a little bit longer than that. Because right now I think we're having just some working out the kinks. Well, I don't. I don't even think it's necessarily that. I think it's a little bit of legal right now. This is what I've been told. I'm not sure. I'm not up to date on it. Well, well I'm on that committee. And yeah. Just, but I mean, you know. But it's going to come out for sure. We know how. Extenuating circumstances, but it's on the way. I've played with it. and It's a cool app, and basically, it just you know, be an iPhone app or Android app, whatever you got. You can pull it up, and on the homepage there, there's four icons, and basically you can find a place to fish, mm -hmm. and it'll show you all the habitat, all the public access points, and it'll, I mean, you can look at the whole state of Kentucky and just zoom in on an yep. area, and it'll show you little, you know, pinpoints, and then you've got all the fishing regs right there, the touch of your finger, you've got the latest fishing report right there, you know, just one click away, and it's pretty much just a great resource for fishermen in Kentucky, whether you're fishing off a boat, it's got... It's even got topo lines for the lakes. So, mm -hmm. so a lot of us would do the telemetry or bathymetry yeah. on. And so if you don't have a, a depth finder, if you're a kayak fisherman, mm -hmm. you can look and kind of get a general I'll idea. I'll mark up all my maps. Yeah. And and you and, and before that happens, if you just want to go to our website, fw.ky.gov, go up to the search bar and just say lakes with fish attractors. Yeah. And we have got a bunch yeah. and all the habitat type, where they're at, coordinates. GPS coordinates. You could put them in your phone. 
go out there and bust them. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I just think that's a. I mean, that's something it's people great. should be excited about. Is because I mean, the app just makes everything so easy. It's right mm -hmm. here, you know. Yeah. It's, Bink. You got oh, wow. it on your phone. Stay bed over here. Let's you go can, ahead. You could be out there on the water and just you know pull, pull up. up the app, pull up the the thing. You can look up you know fish attractors near you and habitat work. So whenever that comes out, I'm sure that we'll do a press release with the department. I know mm -hmm. that the show's talking about putting out a woods and water or a segment about it. So that's something I think people should be looking for. I was also going to say, uh, just like current events, news type stuff, the bath system. I went down there and saw the construction of it a few weeks ago. And it is, a, I mean, it's a serious project. This thing, because it's going in the log channel, this is below Barkley, and this is a bubbles, air or bubble basically it's bubbles lights and sounds and mm -hmm. it's going to deter the asian carp from going into the lake and like you said earlier they need some amount of moving water to spawn and that and other reasons they haven't spawned in the lake very well mm -hmm. so if we can keep them from going into the lake we can lower the numbers in the lake yes um but in order to put this in it's it's like a 200 foot long six foot wide concrete structure that sits about two and a half feet tall and it's going in the lock channel. And because it's going in the lock channel, they have to put it down into the bedrock. That way the locks or the, the barges when they come through don't destroy it. So they're having to dig out the bedrock, like two feet deep, six feet wide, 200 feet long. And the water's been too high to get the big machinery down there to dredge this out. Like I saw the, the equipment they had, it's some heavy duty stuff, but they can't use it. So they've had divers down at the bottom of the, the river, 30 feet deep with jackhammers for three hours at a time. I mean, they stay down there for three hours. That's crazy sounding. Yeah. I hope they're paid well. I guarantee you they are. I guarantee you they are. But they've been down there, so two divers have been jackhammering out the bedrock at the bottom of the river, 30 feet deep, for three hours at a time. Or well, that's their, their daily limit. They are allowed to stay down there three hours a day, and it has to do with nitrogen levels. Yeah. So, um, but basically, because of the high water, I've... I've heard some rumblings that that project might be put on hold for a month or something like that because they have to get the big machinery down there to finish it off. Mm -hmm. And the lock has to open back up on August 1st. I think that we're going to have a press day at the end of this month, maybe July 30th. But that project's coming along. I went down there and saw them building the bath systems and putting it all together. And I went and I saw the divers and it was really cool. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that goes too. And then my one thing I wanted to end off with was there's a new law or there's new regular what's it called before something's a law there's a proposal yeah okay proposal. well there's a proposal in effect to do away with daylight savings time mm -hmm. well, no no do away with switching keep daylight yeah. savings time year round so it would be the, the one we're on right now year all year round. long yeah so, i just caught one of that this morning so basically in the winter instead of getting dark at 5 30 you get dark at 6 30 but instead of getting light at 7 30 you'd be getting light at 8 30 in the morning i'm not sure how i feel about it how yeah do i think there's going to be a lot of ambivalence i kind of i mean i don't see what it hurts i know that apparently it was invented for farmers to be able to get their crops right. in during and, the hot months and they said in the 1970s there was an energy crisis and then mm -hmm. when you switch it like that you actually people save energy because of when they're running electricity and mm -hmm. I don't know. I I think I'm open to it. I could go hunting after work in November. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, that's kind of what I'm thinking. Well, that's what I look at. I, I like getting off work and having some time to go play. Oh, it's depressing when and, you get uh, off work. I mean, and, like right now, it's great. I mean, yeah. You know, I I was tired yesterday. I went to bed still light. Yeah, I've know? done that mm -hmm. recently too. 
I mean, I think getting a little, I just basically, do you want your time in the afternoon or in the mornings? Mm -hmm. And I personally, I mean, it is depressing when you get off work and <laughs> it's, it's dark. dark. It's like, wah, wah. <laughs> as, you know? a, as a working person, I want daylight when I get off work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's the only time I got to play. One thing I wanted to circle back with, on these, these smaller lakes, mm -hmm. maybe after the turnover in like November when very few people are on them, is that a productive time to hit Lake Kincaid, to hit Giss Creek? November yeah. and December. Yeah, once they turn over, they, the oxygen recovers. I mean, I think a lot of people start thinking about it's deer hunting season, you know. Yeah. Football. It's football. Basketball. It is amazing. I actually prefer fall fishing after the turnover over even spring fishing. Me too. Because you don't see a soul. You got the lakes to yourself, and the fish are absolutely on a feeding frenzy for weeks. So and if you wanted to go to Kincaid, guess bullet pen or one of these, not a, it's not November would be a good time, wouldn't it? November and December. There's a lot. There's a lot of big fish caught through the winter months. Oh, a lot of really good fishermen say fishermen fishing starts for them in November. Yeah, I said there's a lot of big well, fish. Smallmouth on the reservoir for me. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. my favorite times Thanksgiving to yeah about yeah. mid April. That's a, I mean, I was thinking Chad is the exact same way. Fishing oh, yeah. really starts. I mean, he does it year round. Obviously, it's mm -hmm. kind of his job too, especially. But I mean, Thanksgiving weekend, he takes a four day trip to the lake, and from then it's like it's on. Just I mean, we caught him on July. I mean, I'll say January second when you slayed him. If it ain't frozen over, I'll go. If I got time to go, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've, I mean, you can catch him. I mean, I've caught him down to thirty eight degree water before, and yep. it's like. Again, you don't. It ain't a numbers game, but it's a quality fish game at that point. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. It's one of my favorite times to fish. This time of year, the only time to fish, in my opinion, on a lake on a boat. So if you're on a bass boat, nighttime is at night. I don't want to cook in the sun all yeah, day. It's or, miserable. Yeah, or that you know, party four thirty till yeah. eight thirty nine o'clock and head to the house. Yeah, yeah. so you can do pretty good on and, a lot of these the, lakes in the morning. Well, the party crews out there. Seven seven at night till ten or eleven. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but yeah, you gotta you can't be out there in the middle part of the day. And this is a great time to stream fish. Summer is the best time to smallmouth fish and stream. And it feels so good. It. Yeah, feels you're in cool water. I yeah. think today I might go try the rock bass. I've got my gear in the car. I got everything I need to, on the way back to the place I live now, which is called Louisville. I can stop off in Shelby County and get my rock bass hole going and maybe catch a few and cook them I up. I mean, a little curly tail grub would be hard to beat. Yeah. That's all you need. I mean, I had the kids out this weekend and. They caught fish and we took them home and that's what we had for supper last night. Yeah, and uh, I'm out of fish. I'm out of fish right now. So. I, it ain't something that happens in my house very often. <laughs> <laughs> I had a, I had a. I've got, I got two kids that are harvest, harvest oriented. Mm. Yeah. So if it's, if it's a legal fish, it gets eaten at our house. Oh, Granddad thought you were a fool if you went fishing and didn't keep them. It's like, why are you yeah. going? You know, yeah. the only fish the I've, Aaron. the only fish I've kept so far this year are white bass and crappie, but that's about to change. I mean, I'm thinking catfish, I'm thinking rock bass now. More and more species need to be afraid. So, and some rock bass have the diagenic trematode in it, don't they? It happens, yeah. I mean, it's just part of nature. It's a little fluke. and Yeah, it, yeah you'll see them. They'll, they'll be like yellow <clears throat> or black or white, kind of. That's the kind of the colors. And it, it's, in the, it's in the flesh, it's in the meat. Um, it's a turnoff for some people. It won't hurt, they will not hurt us. Um, but I mean, when you cook them, it, they go away. When you cook them, they go away. They're they're not going to create any health issues with you. Because so. I've heard people, mm, um, you know. But I mean, everybody's different. Yeah. So, but yeah, they exist. They're out there. It's just fish is part of their life cycle, mm -hmm. and they kind of come and go. Yeah. Huh. All right. I don't have anything else, Lee. Do you? I do not, but we'll have to talk about the uh, life cycle of the trematode sometime. It's fascinating. It actually is pretty <clears throat> fascinating. Well, that's here right now. Well, I say I'm hungry and I got a 
Oh, this will make you real hungry. So, it starts with great blue heron, correct? You gotta have fish eating birds. Typically, what we have is the blue herons, mm -hmm. snails, and fish. That's the life cycle. They, they get in smallmouths too in streams, correct? They can get in about any fish. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you can see small. If you catch a smallmouth that has little black spots on its belly, that's a sign, correct? Yep, you'll see them oh, on the, I caught I caught one yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in bad cases, you can even see it like at their bases of their fins are actually out in the fin rays. Um, you can kind of sometimes you can see it actually in their gills. Uh -huh. So I mean, if it's a big infestation of them, but so yeah, basically the life cycle, the way it works is the uh, fish eat the eat the snails that that have the trematodes in them. It lives in the fish as flesh and meat. At some point, the bird consumes the fish, and then it's in the digestive tract of the bird for a period of time. Uh, basically, the the feces from the birds drops back into the water. The it's in their feces. The snails eat the feces. And it starts that cycle all over again. <laughs> so, so what's this thing look like? Have you a seen lot of people fish? call them grub. Like they'll say, I caught a fish and it had yellow grubs in it. Mm -hmm. And you can cut them out, and it it almost looks like a little bitty like a snail or or like you know or a little piece of rice kind. Yeah, of Yeah, they're really small, but they're very distinct in the flesh. When you fly it up, you'll be like, what is that? Yeah. Especially if they're black. But most of the time they're like whitish yellow kind of look. Yeah. So where does its actual, because I understand the cycle, snail to fish, to bird, to, to water, to snail. But where does its life cycle actually start in? Because it's not the same one going through and through and through. So it has a start and end to its life somewhere. Yeah, now you've gotten beyond my capability. Okay. I didn't know, <laughs> I didn't know like where it, because is it like a. It's a, it's a, it's a parasite. It's yeah. a parasite. Hmm. And it's used, it's, you know, a different life, so it has, to, has different hosts. But okay, yeah, so they have to multiply somehow. That's the goal, yeah. there, right? It's, yeah. I don't well, know if the, the host fish in it, the host fish, don't yeah. they, in that part of the, where they breed? And then, so they, uh, yeah, I, I don't know, it's, I don't know that part. That's cool, I'd have to, but it's, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, we, we deal with it with landowners and ponds sometimes, and and they're like, how do you get rid of them? That's, that's our number one, like, how do you get rid of these things? Because it is a turnoff to people. Yeah. Um, you know, a stream or lake is not possible. It's part of nature. Just they come and go. Um, in ponds, you don't want to kill your fish. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can't kill the blue herons because they're protect federally protected. So the only way to break that life cycle is at the snails, and we typically use copper sulfate for that. You knock the snails out. Um, you break the cycle, and that kind of go away. Well, it's just kind of strange yeah. how different species are codependent. Oh, no, it's basically amazing. everything is. Well, yeah, but you know, especially yeah. things that are like that species relies on three other yeah. types of. I mean, you kind of wonder how things evolved like that. Know. You know, I can understand how predator and prey yeah. and that kind of interdependence works, but to think of a species that actually needs three other species to do something particular to, yeah, to, for them yeah. to exist in the world. Yeah, it's weird how stuff like that happens. Yeah. But they're completely safe to eat. Yeah, absolutely. And what you fry them and or whatever right. cooking process will take care of them. It's like you just cook them like y'all with your fish. It's, it means nothing any different. You know, you want to cook your fish correctly, and it takes care of that. Yeah. And so, yeah, I eat. I eat them. Well, well, I'm still here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not normal, but I'm still here. <laughs> more normal than a lot of people. I think. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna get lunch, guys. I appreciate you coming on. Thank you. I thought it was a good one. I'm going to have more really questions good. to ask you at some point in time, but they have to pop yeah, come in back out. So. Come yeah. in the fall, we'll talk about fall fishing. Yeah, let's come do back. that. That's We'd fine. love to have you back. All right, appreciate it, David. That's fine. Thank you, Lee. No, no problem. This was a good one.